This morning we make our way into Acts chapter 20, and what we're going to find in Acts 20 is maybe a mini-series on spiritual leadership. Um, And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be walking through this chapter, and you're going to begin to see um, a lot of things of what spiritual leadership should look like in the church and ultimately in your life. And um, I want to remind you today, maybe you're here and you say, Blake, I'm not really in any area of leadership. The reality is you are. Whether you realize it or not, you're in an area of leadership or areas of leadership, and Think about it again, just slowly with your family. If you have children, you're in an area of leadership. If you have grandchildren, you're in an area of leadership. If you have nieces or nephews, you're in an area of leadership. Uh, maybe as a child, you're in an area of leadership that you weren't really prepared for or didn't really sign up for. But as aging parents, maybe that you're a caretaker for, aging grandparents, you've now become an area of leadership that you never really even expected. And it's totally different than what you thought. But you're in an area of leadership In the church, you are in leadership, right? Whether you're serving on some kind of committee or uh, you're involved maybe with children or youth or you're in leadership in Sunday school classes or maybe you serve in the audiovisual ministry today or sometime or maybe you serve in the bus ministry or a deacon, a trustee. I mean, there's so many areas in which the church you may be serving and having areas of leadership. When you think about the community, you have areas of leadership. It's on your job. You have areas of leadership. And so the reality is we are all being influenced by others and we are influencing others. And so this morning we want to look and say, what's it look like, right? Even if we're not maybe at the top of the food chain in in your job or in your family or here in the church, maybe you you think, I'm not really sure that there's much leadership in my own life. Um, I, I want you to begin to look at this today and say, well, what should leadership look like, right? If maybe right now, currently in my life, I'm not necessarily in a later area of leadership that maybe I, I, I see as being leadership, what should it look like? So this is helpful even as you begin to look saying, okay, well, who are the people around me? What should I be looking like for the people that I want to follow or emulate? So this would be important for that. And here's what I want you to see. It's beautiful about Acts 20. Is Acts 20, we're going to walk with a man by the name of Paul. Paul has a former way of life. He was known, as, his prior name was Saul, and, and he hated Christians. So much so that he would say he would go from town to town dragging men and women, putting them in prisons. He even in Acts chapter 7 has a man by the name of Stephen. He is there giving approval as they stone this man to death as he's preaching the gospel about Jesus. And so Paul defines himself as the chief of what? The chief of sinners, right? He said, hey, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm the worst. I'm the chief of sinners. And I want you to see how great the love of God is to change a man or woman's heart. And then I want you to begin to look and say, God, what are you doing in my heart? What do you want to do in my heart? Do I love the Lord Jesus Christ? And then this question that Paul's going to put before us today, and really through his life, he's going to pose a question to you and I. How intently or passionately do you love God's bride, the church? Because Paul is going to love the church today in ways that I'll be honest, when I look at this week, I think, man, Lord, I fall so short of loving the church like Paul does and these others. So let's come to it. Acts chapter 20. Remember, Paul has just left Ephesus. If you remember, we were there a few weeks ago. And great Artemis of the Ephesians, this great goddess they worshipped. Yeah, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was there. Um, she was worshipped. Uh, they had the meteorite from heaven that said, Hey, listen, this absolutely affirms that what we worship is true. And now Paul shows up on the scenes and he says, God's made with hands are actually not God's at all. 
And, man, they start a riot. For two hours, they're yelling, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Finally, they come in. They say, listen, we've got we've got uh, ways of legislation um, that are set up that we can handle this legally. You guys could be guilty of rioting. And so the crowd is dispersed. Um, and Paul, Paul was in a pretty, pretty entangled predicament. And so we come and, and Paul begins to make the exiting from Ephesus in Acts 19. And we transition into Acts 20 after Paul has really set a city in uproar by preaching the name of Jesus. And look what it says. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So we're going to deal with the first six verses. I'll be honest with you. There's not tons of like theological uh, truths that are going to like overwhelm you. There's not tons of things you're going to say and say, wow, that's got a lot of application for my life. This is really good fodder for me spiritually. I'm loving this. But what's happening behind this text is absolutely um, it, it's huge. And so I want us to dig a little bit deeper behind the text to try to find out maybe what's going on. Alright, so what happens here? Look what it says. So, after the disciples, um, he leaves Ephesus, verse 1 there, he departs from Macedonia. Alright, so we have Paul heading toward Macedonia. And it says he had gone through those regions. He gives them much encouragement. He comes to Greece. Um, what we don't realize is that verse 2, scholars estimate that Paul spent anywhere from a year to two years. So you have one verse... That gives literally a snapshot of time of a year to two years. And we want to kind of say, what was Paul maybe doing in these years or two years? And here's one of the things you're going to know about leadership. And if you watch Paul's life, you know this. There is a love for the separated, right? A love for the lost. Those that are separated from Christ, if you are in Christ, you have a love for those people. You want them to experience what you experienced. You want them to know how God has transformed you, how He's given you peace, how He's loved and accepted you, even though you were unworthy and unfit. and un, I mean, you just were not worthy of that. But God has loved you. And so Paul has a love for the lost, all right? a love for the separated. And, and listen, um, we'll come to this map maybe in a minute. But Romans 9, listen to what Paul says. He says, listen guys, I've got great sorrow, unceasing anguish in my heart. So Paul begins to talk about his heart. Why is this for? For I could wish that I myself, he says, are cursed and cut off for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul says he loves the Jewish people, the Israelite people so much that he wishes that he himself was damned and separated from Christ that they would know the love of God. That's how much he loves them. Further, he says in verse 1 of Romans 10, Brothers, my heart's desire. Again, this is Paul's heart. I want you to see Paul's heart today. And his prayers that God, that they may be saved. That's the desire of Paul's heart. So spiritual leadership has a love for people that are separated from God. There is a deep, longing desire. And then this is what makes this moment in Paul's ministry so amazing. And I think we need to literally pull back the onion and say, Wow, what is going on that so captured Paul's heart? Listen to this. This is very interesting. It's in 2 Corinthians. If you walk through 2 Corinthians, uh, specifically verse chapters 1 through 7, you get a lot of background of what's happening here in Acts chapter 20, the first six verses. 
Listen to what Paul, this, this is again very interesting, knowing Paul's heart to take the gospel. Even Paul who would say in Romans, I have a desire to preach God where he's never been heard. I want to take gospel, the gospel to the unreached, unengaged people of the world who have never heard or don't have access to the gospel. I want to take Christ there. And then listen to what Paul says, and this begins to give us an idea of the heart of Paul and the heart of what we should look like when we're looking for spiritual leadership in ourselves and others. He says in verse 12 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, When I came to Trous or Troas to preach the gospel of Christ. All right, so Paul has come, right? He's come to preach the gospel, all right? He says, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord. He says, God is opening doors to tell people about Christ. He is opening doors. This is huge. Look what he says here. This is interesting. My spirit was not at rest. Why, Paul? He tells you. Right? These are just simple things you can start to look for to how do I interpret Scripture? Because! Right? So why was the Spirit not arrest? Because! I didn't find my brother Titus there. And this is interesting. Paul says, I took leave of them. He took leave of preaching the gospel of Christ. And that must make us ask a very serious question. Why? Here's the background. Paul had come to Corinth. Corinth is a very, very ungodly place, okay? Um, literally, the word to Corinthize or Corintherize um, literally indicates a lifestyle of people that are very ungodly, okay? So that was kind of a label they would throw out, right? So if you were, you were labeled as that, that meant you lived a very loose, so to speak, ungodly life. Paul had come there and taken the gospel into Corinth. And man, he had encountered all kinds of things. Not only outside in, in the people's lives, but the people in the church. The people in the church were living very ungodly, and he was distraught. And so Paul does something that, that maybe you're not aware of. Paul wrote another letter to the church at Corinth that we don't have, alright? And so if you read through Second Corinthians, he talks about this letter of tears. Alright, and he talks about the fact, he says, listen, I know you guys were grieved by my former letter. We don't have that letter, alright? It, it wasn't retained throughout church history. It's not in our church canon. We, we don't have access to it. But Paul says that he wrote this letter, alright, in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians to the church at Corinth. And he called them out for the way they were living. And he says, listen guys, I was grieved by the way you all were living. And listen, it grieved the church. It hurt them that someone like a spiritual father would have to say these things to them. But that's oftentimes what happens in leadership, right? As moms and dads, we have to say things to our children or, or maybe as grandchildren or nieces or nephews or maybe it's to, to, to friends of your, of your children, your siblings. Maybe it's friends that, that they have friends that come in the house and, and God gives you a great area of influence and you have to sometimes say things to them they don't necessarily want to hear or they don't like at the time. But that's the call, right? It's not always to be their friend or, or to be the most liked person. We have to hold us. Brother Corey said, this is God's Word. This is not words that we came up with as a church. This is God's holy breathed Word. We must hold fast to it. And Paul was distraught over the church at Corinth. And this is what's amazing. He loves the church so much that he is stepping away from an open door to tell other people about Jesus. This brother loves the people of God. And he's broken for them. Are you? Am I? I mean, Paul, listen, he, he loves the church. I mean, just a couple of glances. Look, he says, look, in, in, to the church at Philippi, when he writes to them, he says, it's my right to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. 
He says, I love you guys with my heart. When he writes to the church at Thessalonica, he says, listen, in First Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, look, guys, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. I mean, can you imagine any more gentle than a, a mother nursing her child, this, this baby that, that can't eat on their own, they can't take care of themselves, they can't change themselves, it's totally dependent. He says, listen, that's how we love and care about you. And Paul is doing that. And so you say, well, why are we pulling up some of these imageries? Well, if you look on the map here, Paul, right again, that he was back there in, in Ephesus to try to figure out the best way to maybe draw this. I don't know if you can see that very good or not. Maybe this one. So he's there in Ephesus, all right, and he's beginning to make this. So he's got there at, at Trous or Troas, and now he's beginning to head on, right? So he leaves there, heading on toward Macedonia, right, because he realizes he's not heard back from Titus. He is distraught that the church is saying, Paul, we don't want you. Now, Paul writes about that in some of the letters. It says, listen, we, there's a lot of people around in the church of Corinth. They don't like Paul. They're saying, let's just get rid of him. Who is this guy? We don't want him, right? We've got other people that are much more... Uh, better speakers, so many other things in Paul. And so when we talk about Philippi, we talk about Thessalonica, those are places that Paul would be. And so he's sharing his heart. He loves them desperately. And so look what happens here. It's interesting. Look what it says. Back in verse 1 of Acts 20 again, back in our, our text for today, Paul sent for the disciples, and look what it says there, after encouraging them. Now, if you're packing a King James and maybe a couple other translations, pull it. You don't see the word encouragement. What do you see? He said farewell and departed for it. What's it say that he does? Paul does what? It says he embraces them. That's the word imagery that's happening behind this. Is that Paul literally is not just simply, as John reminds us, let us not love with simply words, but with action and in truth. Paul is embracing them. He loves them. He has a heart for these people. Right? I mean, he is absolutely physically showing them his affection. He is coming to call. I mean, the word indicates that you are bringing someone close. He encourages them. Look what happens, though. Not only did he encourage them in Ephesus. Now, listen. Why would he need to encourage them in Ephesus? Because the riots just happened. He's now leaving. And these people that have come out of worshiping these false gods are now going to be following Christ, declaring to everyone, all their friends and family, if you worship Artemis, you don't worship the one true God. They're in big trouble. So he encourages them. Look further with me. Now look at it says verse 2 again. This is, this is interesting. You're going to need to pull it again later. So follow it away. You're going to hear it again a little bit later today as we close our text. When he had gone through, verse 2 of Acts 20, through those regions and had given them much encouragement. Alright, so again, much encouragement where? Well, it's in those regions of Macedonia, right? That's where he's, he's encouraging. So places like Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, alright, church places that we have actual letters for in the New Testament. He was giving them much encouragement. And here's what I want to do to you today. I want to encourage you. So get ready, alright? Alright, imagine that you've got your encouragement cup. Get ready to get it filled. Because I'm getting ready to unload on you the greatest encouragement that you're going to hear today. This is going to be awesome. I'm telling you, if you are in Christ today, get ready to get your willy-nilly. Literally, I've already got, I don't have much hair, but it's already standing. I promise it is. I know you have to really zoom in, right, microscope, but it's standing. Wow, listen to this. This is some encouragement. Again, we're saying, well, I wonder how Paul might have encouraged them. We don't have to actually always wonder. Let's look to the biblical text. So again, we're going to walk to a couple places that Paul would have been in the area of Macedonia, right? So watch this. Philippians. Look what he says to them. Verse 1. We're going to walk just hit a couple things. 
He tells the church at Philippi that he who began a good work in you will carry it unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Is that good news today? That God who started the work of salvation in you is not going to give up on you. He's not going to kick you to the curb. He's not going to wash his hands of you. You've not filled up so much sin and so much trash and messed up in your life. that He says, well, that's just enough. Your bucket's tipped. You're done. I'm moving on to somebody else. No, God, he says, listen, God who started the good work in you, church, is going to bring it unto completion to the day of Christ. That's good news. Look what else with me, church. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. I was thinking about this yesterday. I was at a funeral hearing the message and just thinking for, to me to live as Christ and what? The die is gain. That is totally flip-mo of our, our, our world in which we live. That totally flips the script. Paul says, listen, if you're in Christ, the die is gain. Further with me, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He says, guys, I want you to know, he says in verse 3, that in humility we ought to consider others more important than ourselves. And then look what he says in verse 5. I want you guys to know that you have this mind. It's yours in Christ. You have the mind in Christ to live a humble life and put others in front of you. That's how encouraging this is. Look further with me, though. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. One of my favorite texts in the entire Bible. Look what it says. Verse 9. And he says, Paul says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He says, listen, church, you can never be good enough. You'll never do it. This is Paul, who was a Hebrew of Hebrew, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He says, in regard to the, the, the law of the Lord, he says, I was righteous, I was zealous, I was faultless. He said, I made it my, my everyday effort to obey God's Word to the very best of my ability. He said, but I could never, ever become as righteous as God. Until... Until a man stepped on the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he lived a sinless life, and he went to the cross, and he died not for his own sins, but for mine. And he was buried and raised again. He's ascended back to the Father. He's at God's right hand right now, guys. And I'm telling you, if you will put your faith and trust in Him, what you can never do on your own, you can be declared righteous, guiltless, faultless, without sin or any blemish in the presence of God by faith in His Son. If that doesn't encourage you today, I don't know what else will. I mean, that, that's encouraging. And then Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, verse 12, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, church, no matter what you face, I want you to know that Christ is sufficient for it. That ought to encourage you today. But look, let's not only stop there. Let's move on just for a moment to the church at Thessalonica because he will walk through there. He was much, remember, he's spending one to two years going from church to church, place to place. He's encouraging them, just constantly building them up. How might he have done that? Well, the church at Thessalonica, look what he tells them. You ever, ever been discouraged by your faith? You're just your Christian walk like, man, I'm, I'm dude, I'm not doing very much. I stink. I don't know why I'm not making any difference. I don't know why God even wants me, needs me. I mean, I, I, you, you ever feel like that? Like, man, I'm just a failure. I've just blown it. I don't think I make any difference. I, I feel that way sometimes. So, maybe, I don't know. If, if you do, listen to this. Verse 8 of 1 Thessalonians 1. He says, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Can you imagine today if... if Paul walked on the scene and says, listen, I know you feel like your faith has no impact, but I, I wish you could just see what God's using your faith at your job site. I want you just to see how your faith is impacting those people on your ball team. I just want you to see how your faith is impacting that niece or nephew. I mean, you, you just don't see it, but I want you to know your faith is going forth everywhere. 
Look what he says to him. Uh, let's just move on to chapter 3 there, 1 Thessalonians 1. He says, listen guys, God is going to establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God. You, me, in Christ, blameless before God. Wow. I think about the scoundrel that I am and think there is a God who would love me, who would willingly allow me into His presence and declare me guiltless, blameless in His presence. There's no way you could ever work to be that good. It's only by faith in Christ. It is Christ who took your sin and gave you the righteousness, His perfect life in your place. That is awesome. Further with me, 1 Thessalonians 4, again, thinking about how it might, might encourage the church. Well, in 1 Thessalonians 4, there's people that have come into church and they said, Listen, you guys have already missed the resurrection. You guys have missed it. The resurrection's already happened. It's already taken place. You've missed it. Now look what he says. Now I want you to know, verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians 4, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. Now that's a beautiful moment. because How many of you have someone that you love that's a Christian that's already died and gone on? Guess what it says? They're with Him. Do you see that? God will bring with Him because they're with Him. That's encouragement right now just for a moment of just, man, they're with Him. Those who have died, He says, those who have fallen asleep. He says, listen guys, I want you to know that there's going to be a shout of the archangel. The trumpet of God is going to blast. And He says, the dead in Christ, their bodies will be raised up to meet with those spirits in the air. And He says, then we who are alive will be caught up in the air with them. That word caught up indicates the word from rapture we get. That we will be instantaneously brought up to God with Him in the air. And then, look at this, I love it. So we will always be with the Lord. Man, how encouraging is that? One last thing of encouragement I would throw at you that Paul is encouraging the church. Verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians 5. For God has not destined us for wrath. Wow. Discipline. Judgment. He says, Luke, this is not your destiny. Church, this is not your destiny. Your destiny is to obtain salvation. How? He says it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Man, what encouragement. So in the midst of this year to two years that Paul is, is lead, walking through and visiting all these different churches, Titus shows back up. And Titus shows back up, and you can again read this, 2 Corinthians um, chapter 1 through 7. You'll hear different little fragments of it, as you, especially as you come toward chapter 7 in 2 Corinthians. But... Titus shows up and he says, listen, the church was, was hurt by what you said, Paul. But I want you to know that it hurt them, but they realized that what you said was actually true. And their grieving led them to repentance. Wow. How many of you at some point in your life had someone tell you something that you didn't like, but you, you realized that later it was true and, and it proved to be true? Yeah. Those, those are hard moments. Those are hard moments. But man, it proved to be... It says, listen, the church got it right. And now Paul is overjoyed. Paul is absolutely overjoyed. And so guess what Paul does? He does something that's very important to you and I today. Is when he hears back from Titus that the church at Corinth has actually repented and getting things right with God, he now writes the letter to Corinth. This the second letter that we have in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians. And so he writes it to them as a... As a pastor, as a heart of a brother who loves and cares for the people of God. And he writes and he's, he's, just, he's just overjoyed. 
by what he's heard from Titus, that they have they're living for God, that they have got things right. And so then we, we come back to our text today. It says when he had gone, verse 2 of Acts 20, when he had gone through those regions to give them much encouragement, again, that's what we've been dealing with, he came to Greece. All right, You might see Achaia, depending on your translation. Um, here's kind of the map where he is. He's here in the Athens, uh, Corinth area, so the church at Corinth. He's come now there, okay? So Paul was kind of waiting, all right? Sometimes you, you, you probably had those moments. You, you've had moments in life where you waited. You weren't sure what the relationship was going to play out. You weren't sure what was going to happen in, in this moment. And you kind of like stepped back, kind of waited. Maybe you sent a messenger ahead, kind of like, hey, would you feel it out, right? I mean, maybe when you, you met your significant other, you, you kind of had that. You had a buddy or somebody kind of go forward for you and, and say, would you check out, see if there's any interest, right? We'd like to save some face, right? I mean, that could be kind of dangerous. Getting called out like, hey, I'm not really interested in you. So sometimes we send somebody else forward. So Paul has kind of sent Titus there. He's come back. Now he's written that letter. Um, and he's beginning to encourage them. Now what's amazing is that Titus or, or Paul spends three months here in Corinth. And you might think, well, Paul is obviously relieved by what he's heard from Corinth. And he's probably just chilling out. Actually, he's not. Um, this is about A.D. 56 to the springtime of A.D. 57. And Paul does something that's absolutely huge in the life of church. He writes the letter to the church at Rome. The book of Romans is now written from the place of Corinth. So Paul now, in a matter of a year or two, has dealt with all kinds of challenges, and now he's beginning to write to the churches and affirming who they are in Christ. He's writing the letter to the church at Rome, maybe one of the most beautiful letters we have in the entirety of all Scripture. And so Paul's doing that. So Paul's loving the church. He's ministering. He's encouraging. But I want you again to see the big picture of what spiritual leadership should look like in your life, my life, and and that of the church. Paul also is doing something very important. So if you follow this this little purple line here, if you can see it very well, Paul is going to return back through these areas and ultimately he's coming back toward Jerusalem. Why? Well, that's intentional. Um, back in Acts chapter 11, there was a prophet by the name of Agabus who stood up and said that there was going to be a famine throughout the entire world. And the world, it, it was literally, it was a severe famine. It came true. Um, and it was a severe famine and people are struggling financially, especially those in Jerusalem. And so what the church begins to do, especially the Gentile church, and this is huge, right? Because there's a lot of struggle in the early church. Should the Jewish people accept Gentiles who, are, who have not been grown up, right, under the truth of the Old Testament, right? They don't have circumcision, um, this great sign of the covenant. They don't have Mosaic law that they have followed and obeyed. And now this church, right, these kind of outsiders of the church, so to speak, all right, they battle that throughout the New Testament. You read that, you see the tension. These are the people that are sending finances to the church at Jerusalem saying, we are your brothers and sisters in Christ and we love you guys. And Paul's doing that. And what's interesting now is knowing that is you're going to understand why there's some names getting ready to be listed in verse 4. And we're going to walk through those names in just a moment. But Paul is literally taking up an offering for the church at Jerusalem, the saints there who are struggling to meet physical needs. And I want you to realize, I don't know if you know it or not, but... Um, Every Sunday, um, I don't know if you can see that map very good, but our church, we take about 15% of what's put in the plate there, and we give it, we send it to um, our state convention, which is the Kentucky Baptist Convention that helps 
Baptist causes here in Kentucky, and one of those would be Kentucky Changers. So when you see all the work that's getting ready to happen, guess what? You're a part of that. If you've been giving financially, part of the money that you give each Sunday, we send on, and they use for ministries like that, disaster relief, so many others, to help support churches and and put on different ministries and, and different things. So part of that is there. But then another percentage of that, of what we give, is sent on not only from the state, but it's going to be sent on to the Southern Baptist Convention. And at that point, about 50% of it goes one direction and 50% goes the other. 50% will go to the North American Mission Board, all right? And so they're going to help new church plants. They're helping churches all throughout North America reach people with the gospel and engage people that don't, maybe don't have as much access to the gospel. They're helping church planters who maybe don't have financial resources but sense God's calling them. So those are part of it. You're a part of that. Every Sunday as you give. And then another half of that goes to the International Mission Board and sending the gospel overseas and helping support them. And, and so what's really cool is, is this October, Brother Todd and I are getting to go to Zimbabwe and we're going to work with pastors there who have, number one, they don't have financial means for education and two, there's not much access for it. So we're partnering with the Kentucky Baptist Convention and the International Mission Board. And guess what? They're helping offset that cost for us to take the gospel to some folks that are, don't, have, don't have access because of financial means. So every Sunday, I don't know if you realize it or not, but you're giving to help the poor. So guess what? We pass the plate here every week. And I'll be honest with you. I'm not ashamed to do that. I'd be ashamed if we don't do that. To think about what Christ has done for each and every one of us to say that we're not going to give back to the one who's given us everything? That's a major indictment on our hearts. So your giving is a reflection of your heart and your love for Christ. And that's what the New Testament church is doing here. They are taking up funds for those who don't have the means or the needs or those needs they can't meet. And so the church is doing that. And it's an awesome moment. But look with me if you would. I just want to walk through just a couple of these names. Here in Acts chapter 20, we have first, we have Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanying him. Now what's interesting is that Paul's going to mention these names, all right, and, and we're going to walk through them just a little bit. But what's cool about it is that these guys have been walking with Paul, and man, they're seeing many, many things. They're seeing Paul preach the gospel. They're seeing Paul love on the church. They're seeing Paul have trouble with the church. They're seeing Paul encourage the church. They're seeing Paul love and pray continually for these churches and these people. Paul is writing letters. Can you imagine as they get to discuss, what are you writing there in the church at Rome? Well, what do you mean, right? I mean, how awesome would that be? Say, Paul, tell me what you mean right there in Romans 5. I don't understand. What do you mean by Romans 9? I, I don't understand what you're after, Paul. They can have these discussions. And this is a beautiful moment of discipleship. So look what we have. We have Sopater the Berean. Now, guess what? He may be mentioned in Romans 16, 21. The names spell a little different, so we're not sure. But if you remember much about the Bereans, we encountered them in Acts 17. And it said in Acts 17, verse 11, that the Bereans were of more noble birth than the Thessalonians. Why? It says, for they searched the Scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. Now, I think it's interesting because I think at times we think, well, I'm not a Paul. Or I'm not a preacher, I'm not a Sunday school teacher, I'm not a deacon, I'm not a trustee, I'm not in charge of many committees. Like, I, I don't have much responsibility here. I mean, I, I think this right here, Sopater the Berean, should sound a, a reminder to each of us of our responsibility. And it's this. Can you imagine as Paul goes around preaching and teaching that he has this Berean here who lives in a place where they take the Word of God and they compare it. Now, obviously, this is Old Testament, right? The New Testament's not yet written. 
It's just becoming formed at this point. But they would compare what's written about the Messiah, the promise of this coming Savior throughout the Old Testament, and they would compare it to what Paul's saying about Jesus and say, is that true? Does that match up? Can you imagine the accountability to Paul every day as he preaches and teaches about Jesus to be faithful to Scriptures because of one Sopter, the Berean? Now, his name's not in lights like Paul. We only hear him here, basically, and he exits the scene. But you have a responsibility. You bring accountability to me each week as you're engaged in the Scriptures. As you're walking along, you're looking, saying, is he being true? Is he being faithful to text? You do that every week in your Sunday school classes. You show up prepared. You've studied. You've walked along. You're holding that teacher accountable. You're raising. You see how you have a responsibility to raise up the level of discipleship in our church? By you being engaged. By you being involved in the Word of God. And so there he is, Sopter the Berean. It says this, and then he says there's also some Thessalonians over there. We have Aristarchus, and we have Secundus, and then we have Gaius of Derby, And then let's move forward just for a moment to Timothy. Now, we know a lot about Timothy. Timothy becomes the pastor in Ephesus, the place that we've just left, the center of the occult, where demons were speaking and literally beating the pants off of people, right? Where they're worshiping this great goddess Artemis. Timothy, guess what, buddy? You get the privilege of getting to go plant a church in that city. Blessed are you, right? I mean, that's a pretty challenging place. And here's Timothy. Timothy is not unprepared. Why? Because he's been walking with Paul. You see, discipleship should be happening in the lives of your children, the people in the church around you, preparing them for what God has in store for them next. We don't always know it. We don't always see it. Sometimes we wonder if we're making any difference. But I want to ask, deacons, who are you currently equipping that God will raise up next to serve in that role? Trustees, who are you allowing to come beside you and say, here's why we're making this decision. Here's how we're doing this. Someday God may raise you up in this position. Sunday school teachers, are you looking out throughout your class and saying, you know what, that young lady or that young man there, I see the gift of teaching in them and God's at work in them and He's providing insight and revelation. When the time comes that we need some new teachers and we need to open up some more classes, I already have ideas. We don't have to start wondering. I wonder who it might be. No, we should go to the teachers and say, who in your class is already showing the gift of teaching, has a desire for the hunger for the Word of God? God's giving them insight and revelation. That's being faithful to the text. You see that? That should be happening. Audio, video, ministry. Who's going to take your place? Who could fill in if you were gone? Does anyone know, right? We should be doing it. Bus ministry, benevolence. We could go on, but you get the picture. We should be discipling others. They should be walking beside us as Timothy is with Paul to prepare us for what's next. And then he says of the Asians, we have Tychius, Tychius, um, and Trophimus. Um, start first there with Tychius, or Tychius, depending on how you pronounce it there. But um, he's mentioned several other places. Um, one of those is in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 4, and it's really similar, but it's important. Look what it says about this guy. He says in verse 21 of Ephesians 6 that he is a beloved brother. He is a faithful minister. We have that same um, statement said about him to the church at Colossae in Colossians 4, 7, and 8. And we also have the addition the fact that he is also a fellow servant in the Lord. He says, listen, this guy is just faithful. He may not get the headlines of Paul, but if you want to know someone that's faithful, Tychius is one that is faithful. And I wonder today, could we say that about you? That when we look to the church and say, who's going to serve in this role or who will do that? Could we say, hey, look, you need to look to her. You need to look to him. You know what? That young man, he's really young or she, she, she's young. She may be a youth, but you need to look to her. 
Because she is just a faithful servant of the Lord. We can count on Him. We can count on her. That's who He is. It's just faithful. Is this the, Look again, you're thinking about your life, spiritual leadership. Are you living that kind of life? And in this beautiful moment, you see it highlighted there in purple, but look what it says to both churches, verse 22 of Ephesians 6 and Colossians 4 and 8. Paul sends Tychius to do something absolutely intentional that we shouldn't overlook. He is called to encourage their hearts. Where did Paul see, or where did Tychius see this modeled? Who did he see it from? Paul, didn't he? So we just read, literally, for three years or two plus years, he's been walking beside him and he's seeing him encourage church after church after church after church. And guess what? He got it. So who's walking beside you or who are you walking beside that you're beginning to emulate their spiritual gifts and the life that they are living? There's encouragement. It's happening. Interesting. Further, he's, he's also mentioned in Titus chapter 3. And look what it says. When I send Artemis or Tychius or Tychius to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. What's happening here? Titus is exiting the scene. He's, he's been leading a church in Crete and he's exiting the scene. And guess who's offered up as a replacement? Tychius. Why? Because he'd been disciple. He's prepared. Right? See, when it comes time to church, we should look for leadership. We should be looking, saying, who have we already discipled? Who are we seeing being raised up? You should be looking at your life saying, who are we discipling around me? Who's walking beside me that I'm beginning to see that's prepared for this place of leadership? You see, at times, again, we don't have a lot about Tukias to know exactly what he was doing. But sometimes I think we think it's really big stuff and we miss it. Wednesday night at my table with a lot of youth, guess what was the hit of the show? Watermelon. I don't know who brought the watermelon this past Wednesday night, but the kids at my table went bananas over the watermelon. They were loving it. So much so, they were eating the rind, literally the white. They were eating it out. They are like, this is the best watermelon. I don't know who brought the corn on Wednesday night. Again, you may not have thought it was a big deal. You brought watermelon, you brought corn. It wasn't a big deal. My kiddos went bananas at the table. And I'm not talking about my kids. I'm talking about kids that showed up here to eat. One kid who asked me, hey, how come we don't have family night more? Is it okay if we get like extra plates to take home? That's here in Greensburg, KY, guys. They're hungry. And your corn, your watermelon wasn't a big deal to you. Just like Takiya, sometimes we think that what we do is not really important. Does it make a big difference? It made a huge difference Wednesday night. You don't think it's a big difference sometimes when you're just standing there in the parking lot handing out bulletins Sunday morning before church? But I love that the first person I see is smiling at me when I walk in the door. We're glad that you're here. That feels good to me. I don't know about you, but I like somebody saying, I'm glad that you're here today. See, sometimes we think that what we do is not significant, it's not important, it's just a watermelon. It's not just a watermelon. It is done in the name of Christ. It is an act of love. And it's impacting people. So quit thinking that you have to, all these times, do this big extravagant thing or have to be out front. Many times it's what's never seen. It's a watermelon. It's a piece of corn that you cooked. But man, it impacts and loves those. I know time's come, so I want to close and finish here. Um, maybe I'll just throw a thing or two out here about our boy, the other Asian, Trophimus. Uh, Trophimus is in Acts 21. He gets with Paul when Paul gets in a lot of trouble. But Trophimus, obviously, you can see, is just like the other guys. He's walked with him faithfully. All right, I want to see this. I want to, I want to end with this. I feel like the Lord really wanted me to emphasize this this week, so I don't want to miss it. So we have this guy, Trophimus, 
who walks with Paul. For several years, he's ministering, obviously. He is very significant and important to the life of the church. All right, get that, right? You would say, from the other guys in this list, if he's included with them, um, obviously the church in Asia, which would probably be there around the area of Ephesus or so, they entrust him to take money. He's an accountability. The church sees him as very, very important. Got it. All right, get that context? Why? Because I want to throw something at you. You heard a few weeks ago, but now you have context to build to it. This is huge, alright? This is going to be, for, for some of you today, this is going to be important. Verse 20 of 2 Timothy 4. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was what? Who was what? He was ill. This is huge. Why? Well, I want you to hear it. Trophimus, who was obviously very, very important to the church. He has much spiritual leadership to provide. Paul, who we've seen, has been healing people. Literally, here in Acts 20, he's going to raise some young man from the dead. We've seen that he's healing strangers that seem to have no connection to Jesus. People are just being healed by his handkerchiefs and aprons. And now we have someone who is very, 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 very important in regards to leadership in the church. And he remains ill. Should we not all ask the question here, or maybe, maybe you're not as weak as I am, but I ask the question, why us? Like, why didn't my dad get better? Like, why, why? I mean, do you ever feel that anger like that? Oh, I don't understand this. I think this would cause us to say, Blake and others that maybe you deal with this. We don't always understand God's ways. We don't always know God's will and at times you may say, I don't understand, God. We are serving you, God. We are, God, I mean, listen, God, I know I'm nothing, but Lord, I, I, I'm doing all I can, God. I... And there's our buddy Trophimus, and he remains ill. And Paul obviously has the gift of healing, but it wasn't God's will to heal him. I want you to see that today, because some of you are in that world right now. And I want you to see that you're not alone. There's others in the biblical text who are faithful servants, whom it wasn't God's will to heal. That's a tough pill to swallow. The final thing that I throw out, I know it's been a lot today, man. I, I, I can't apologize. It's just God's Word. It's so good. I just want to see just a couple of things. We have um, Philippi, Derby, Lystra, right, that's mentioned. That's where Paul was in Acts 16. When Paul comes to Acts 17, we find him there in Berea, um, in Acts 18, he's in Corinth, which is the area of Greece where he's come to now. In Acts 19, there he's in the area of Asia with Ephesus. And so, um, why? Because what's happened here is crucial. Is Paul hasn't simply just shown up and shared the gospel and left town. Paul sees that when we share the gospel with people, we are called to walk beside them. Now, there's going to be exceptions to that, places you may go, ministry, trips you may have, where you show up, share the gospel, and at the end of that week or the end of the period of time, you're going to have to leave town. But that should be the exception. Paul is showing us that as he walked from town to town sharing the gospel, from job site to the pool, to the, 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 to the golf course, to the grocery store, to wherever you may go, listen, day to day, day in, day out, he continued to walk beside these people and say, listen, I want to not only tell you about Christ, I want to show you the way to live a godly life. That is spiritual leadership and that's the example of the New Testament church. That's where us as a church, we've got to go. We've got to go.